0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Micah. We're in chapter seven, beginning in verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Amen. You may be seated. All right, well, let's start this morning by thanking Nathan for finally reading something nice from the book of Micah. Uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been reading some doom and gloom stuff out of uh, Micah, who is one of the... Uh, one of the pre-exilic prophets, those guys that we're so familiar with in the Old Testament. Um, We've been spending these weeks looking at uh, the period leading up to exile, Um, and uh, we've been doing that by looking at first the book of Isaiah for a little bit, then we've been looking at Micah, um, and then we are going to transition into kind of the middle of the exile period, a little bit of that today and next week, and then we'll transition after that into kind of the post-exile period. So the, the whole point of all of this is to take a look at a really significant period in Israel's history, uh, a period that that uh, dramatically influences the writing of much of the scriptures. In fact, 20 out of 39 books in the Old Testament uh, are talking about exile. And so it's a huge chunk of, um, of the Old Testament scriptures. And we also see uh, some of the content of exile seeping its way into other portions of the Old Testament as well as much of the New Testament. In fact, Peter, um, kind of the uh, leading disciple of Jesus' disciples, and his letter to uh, the early Christian churches after Christ had risen and left the disciples and the church began to spread, he addressed his letter to Christians in Gentile countries, um, in non-Israelite countries and nations around Israel, Uh, he addressed them as exiles. Um, And so the idea of being in exile carried itself all the way forward into the early New Testament church um, and I think influences so much of the way we see ourselves as well. So that's what we're going to kind of be transitioning into is seeing ourselves in exile Um, and uh, and kind of understanding the experience of Israel in exile and how that relates to us and where we find ourselves today. So uh, if you're not familiar with the story of Israel, they were the the children that God rescued out of Egypt. They were led across the Red Sea um, by Moses. You know, you've seen all the movies. He puts his staff down, the sea parts, and it's amazing you know, the whales swim by them as they're walking on dry ground. Um, so all that happens, and then Israel, um, like you and like me, uh, don't follow God, um, and so they wander around the desert for 40 years. Finally, they get into the promised land, and the promised land at first isn't so great. They ruled by a bunch of kind of ragtag people that are called the judges. Um, Israel still doesn't do great at following after God, but God does continue to give them uh, his promises and, and let them take captive the land there, which eventually gets set up as the kingdom, right? Because Israel says, we need a king. God, you're not good enough. Give us a king like all the nations around us. And God acquiesces their request and says, okay, fine. You can have this guy named Saul. Um, And that doesn't go so well, and then he raises up David, the smallest of seven brothers from one of the smallest tribes of Israel, um, and allows David to become the greatest king uh, in Israel's history, but he's an adulterer and a murderer, so he doesn't get to build God's temple, Um, but his son does, so his son Solomon builds the temple, that's great, the temple gets filled with God's presence, that's amazing, Uh, Solomon also builds a huge palace for himself, a little strange. Uh, And then he marries like 600 women, Um, a lot strange. Um, And he does that because he tries to expand Israel's influence beyond its borders, and he grows the kingdom into this amazing thing, but uh, he's pretty foolish in some of his dealings, um, and uh, ends up with a divided kingdom in his sons, so he has two sons that take the kingdom, split it in half, and then it's just anarchy from there. It's a bunch of bad rulers. Uh, worshiping Baal and other gods, setting up temples to other gods. Um, and time and time again, God's prophets come and speak to these kings um, and say, hey, uh, this is not how God wants his people to live. Uh, if you keep this up, you're going to be exiled. Um, and lo and behold, it happens, right? And that's what we hit last week, where they, 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 they get sent to exile. God does ultimately and eventually say enough's enough. You are no longer my representatives on earth because of how broken and tainted and corrupt you are. Uh, you look like the nations around you instead of like I wanted you to look, to represent my glory and my righteousness, to establish justice and equity and love as the, the parameters for a kingdom. And so since you've done this and rebelled, I'm gonna kick you out of the land that I gave you. Um, and it's gonna just go bad. Um, and so they go into exile, and Israel faces this just insane moment of shame where they, they know that they've been given so much by God. They've been given a land. They've been given um, uh, God's presence in the temple. They've been given a priesthood. They've been given these kings. Um, and uh, when push came to shove, they had such hard hearts that they were unwilling to relent and repent when god said hey your behavior and your belief aren't matching up change your behavior to reflect your belief otherwise um i'm going to exile you and they, they refuse to repent we talked about this two weeks ago they even they even paid prophets to lie to them right and tell them hey don't worry about it you're god's people man it doesn't matter it doesn't matter Go ahead and oppress the poor. Who cares? You're God's people. You can still go to temple, bring your doves or your lambs. It'll all be fine. Don't worry about stealing other people's land. Not a big deal. You're still God's people, right? So they had these false prophets that were prophesying these false things and trying to comfort Israel falsely. And eventually God just said, no. Everything that I said by Isaiah and some of the other true prophets like Micah is going to come to pass. And so in the exile... Israel was left with a lot of deep, dark, uh, kind of identity level questions. Um, Asking things like, well, is God even real? If this happened to us, then is God even real? Or if he is real, maybe he's a lesser God than the God in Babylon. Because for all these years, these other kings have kind of fought against us and our God has always won the battle. But now these kings have come and they've beat us, so maybe, maybe we've just run into a superior God. Maybe we've had this national God for all these years and, you know, compared to the other national gods near us, he was really big, but the national God from farther away came and that God was bigger. Maybe our God's just not as big or not as powerful. Or maybe, maybe he is powerful, but all the stuff that he promised to Abraham and Isaac and to David and... Maybe all that stuff wasn't true. Maybe he was just lying to us to try to get us to be good. Maybe he's abandoned us. Maybe we're not really his chosen people. You know, they they, they wrestled with all of these intense questions. And honestly, this was, I mean, this was a a watershed moment, not just for Israel, but for, for the history of humanity. Because after this moment, when Babylon sacked Jerusalem, they tore down the temple. It was just rubble. They, they burned stuff down. They took the, the treasury, all the stuff. They, they, they took it all away to Babylon. The throne in Jerusalem was, was desecrated. It was just all ruined, right? It was just all ruined. At that moment, the presence of God, it seemed, left Israel, right? And Ezekiel even has a vision about the presence of God leaving the temple. From that point on, moving forward, there would never be an, a, a God-ruled kingdom on the earth again. There would never be an established nation that was declared God's nation. That would never happen again. Israel would fall under the, the dominion of Babylon, and then later that would get conquered by Persia, so they'd be under the, the rule of Persia. King Cyrus in Persia let him go back to Israel, but he didn't give him a king. He stayed king. So they went back to Israel, but they were still under the rule of Persia. And then we have the successive kingdoms, Greek and Roman, right? Like we see these kingdoms continue to spread out into what we call modern history. And to this day, there's still never been a theocracy in Israel. It was a watershed moment at that time. And God did that, Because the kingdom changed, and we'll see that a little bit today and a little bit in a few weeks, how the kingdom transitioned from an earthly kingdom ruled by an earthly king to a heavenly kingdom ruled by a heavenly king. A new covenant was established, a covenant that was not just based on geography and race, but a new covenant that was based on faith in Christ, right? All of this this colossal change in all of human history happened because of exile. Right? It, was this, it was this dramatic, dramatic moment. But right in the middle of it, we find Israel with all these doubts and all these questions. And it's interesting because in some very intentional ways, the exile of Israel is seen or is, is, is kind of a repeat of an exile that happened way back at the beginning of the book. Go with me to Genesis 3. Because Israel basically does a repeat of what our first parents did in the garden. Look at Genesis 3, verse 20. It says, The man called his wife his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, dot, dot, dot. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve lived, walked, breathed, talked the presence, the very real presence of God. They chose to rebel, and the punishment was exile. They were forced out of that presence, and they couldn't ever come back to it. Israel lived in the midst of the temple which was filled with the presence of God. They had the declared law of God as their guiding light, right? They had God's rulers put in place over them and they rebelled and they were exiled from the land never to go back. Yes, they returned to Israel, but it was never the same, ever, right? This exile reality is something that isn't just Israel's experience. It's something that in very real and tangible ways is the experience of every human that has ever lived, that from our birth, we experience exile. We do not walk in the perfect presence of God. We do not have the daily word of God as our continual existence, something that we hear and breathe and know intimately without confusion and without darkness, right? We live in this this kind of strange middle place of exile. A part of us knows what could be and longs for it, but has never quite actually tasted it. Right? This is just this strange reality of, of exile that we live in. And today, we're going to look at, for Israel, what the promises were that God gave them. Because in both of these cases, exile from Eden and exile from Israel, in both of these situations, God made promises before the exile happened. Okay? In both situations, God made promises before the exile happened. And so you see in Eden... In Genesis 3.15, this is actually God speaking to the, to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This was a promise. It was the, the first declaration that a, a seed, someone that would come from the line of Eve or be a human, would eventually defeat the serpent. That was a promise that was given before they were sent into exile, And similarly, what we just read a little bit ago, Micah 7.20, before Israel goes into exile, this is what the, the prophet Micah declares to them, you will show your faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. So on their way out the door, they hear the declaration that God will be faithful, that he will show his steadfast love. There's a declared promise before they're sent into exile, and that's not the only one. We're going to run through a bunch of them here, but before I do, uh, before we do, let's pray and uh, and ask God's help as we dig into these to these promises for exile. Here we go. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Uh, we're grateful for just the the freedom and the opportunity and the pause uh, that we have on this day. Um, it's intentionally built into uh, the life of. Uh, your followers, Lord, to give us the opportunity to look steadfastly and 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 patiently and intently into the Word of Life, that we might uh, that we might see who it is that is true and faithful and good, that we might know what it is that we can trust in, that we can look back and see a picture of of your people that is often the picture of us, weak and and frail and and prone to failure and, and wandering and struggling often, and that even in the reality of darkness like exile, we can see that your plan prevails, we can see that your faithfulness endures, We can see that your victory is sure. We can see that you are not some small G God being dethroned, but rather, you are the one true God who stands forever exalted, the only one worthy of our praise, the only one who has truly, sovereignly, graciously ruled over the history of men. God, we... We have a lot of different experiences in this room as far as what we went through just this week or where we're at in in our stage of life um, or even what we've experienced in regards to your word and the church and following you. God, we pray that among all of the different places that we find ourselves today that we would hear the great and true promises from your word that bring comfort and assurance to us no matter where we are. God, whether it's a dark place or a bright place, God, I pray that your true and faithful word would guide us today. You would comfort us, that you would help us, that in the end we would be able to see the the beautiful fulfillment of Jesus Christ who came to set us free, who came to be the final victory over sin and death. It is Jesus who we worship, it is Jesus who we bow down before, it is Jesus who we long to see. So by your spirit, would you help open our eyes to see him more fully this day, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So when we read these prophets of the exile, we actually see three different types of promises that are given uh, from them. Uh, One is that there are promises made for exile, so these Prophets, uh, Micah is one of them, Isaiah is one of them, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these different uh, prophets, uh, the minor prophets, which are the smaller ones like Amos and Obadiah and Nahum, these different guys. The, some of them make promises about exile. So God actually tells the children of Israel about what's about to happen in Babylon. He makes promises to them that will be fulfilled in Babylon, Just kind of crazy. Like, wait a minute, I thought this was a bad... Nation with evil gods and conquering Israel, right? Well, God does some really amazing stuff in the promises that he makes for exile in Babylon. So that's some of the promises he makes. We'll look at them in a minute. Uh, Number two, he makes promises for the return from exile. So he declares to Israel before they even go or while they are going how they're going to come back. It's great, right? It's very comforting to know when the bad stuff's going to end. And God actually tells them ahead of time what's going to happen. He gives them promises about the return from exile. And then finally, we also see in these prophets promises that are given for the time after the exile. Okay, And those promises are different in the length of time into the future that they are made about. Some of them are promises that come true within 400 years. And some of them are promises that still, as we sit here today, have not come true. Have not been fulfilled, have not been completed. Okay, so God makes these different sets of promises to Israel um, around this time of the exile, and we're going to look at them one by one. So uh, we're going to go to one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament, um, partly to debunk what a lot of us have heard about it, and partly just to to gaze and observe more clearly what it is that God promised. Uh, for exile in Babylon. So some of you already know what I'm talking about, Jeremiah 29. Go to Jeremiah 29 with me. If you've got a Bible app, you can turn there. We'll have some of the words on the screen. And if you ever need a Bible, by the way, we've got some back there. All right, so Jeremiah is a prophet who lives um, leading up to the time of exile. And then in Jeremiah, we get some of the history of exile. Um, So Jeremiah is living as it happens. And then Jeremiah also uh, writes letters to the uh, exiles in Babylon. Okay, so um, Jeremiah is kind of like a Paul, you know, like he kind of lives through the transition and then writes letters. Um, and so it's kind of neat to see, like, the book of Jeremiah is kind of like an anthology. It's not all just prophecy, there's prophecy and then there's story as well. Um, so it's kind of cool if you've never read through Jeremiah. Um, but in Jeremiah 29, uh, he writes one of these letters to people who've already been sent into exile. In Jeremiah 28, <laughs> there's this false prophet named Hananiah. Okay, and Babylon has come, and, and things have gone bad, and everybody's getting really spooked out, and people have been taken into captivity, and Hananiah gathers the people together. He steps up, and he goes, hey, guys, um, I know it's tough. It's, it's been a bad day. But listen, just in two years, In two years, it's all going to be done, okay? Babylon is going to fall, and it'll all be like it didn't happen in just two years, okay? Right? So like all the little 14-year-olds that hear it at the time, like, sweet. When we're done with this, I can get my driver's license, and then like, it'll be no problem. Like, everything is just fine. I'll be, you know, sophomore in high school, and it'll be cool, right? Like, so Hananiah proclaims to the people two years, and Jeremiah says, uh, that's not true. Right, like God pulls Jeremiah aside and says, "Hey, he's a liar. Uh, I didn't tell him to say that. Um, in fact, go before all the people and tell them Hananiah is wrong, and he's going to die." <laughs> right, and so that happens. Hananiah gets confronted by Jeremiah, and then before the year is over, he dies, um, which is really bad news if you're Hananiah, right? But that's what happened to false prophets in the Old Testament. Um, if they prophesied falsely they'd be either stoned or God would just, like, kill them, right? Like, that's how bad it was to speak the wrong word, right? Like, thank God that's not true today. Um, But this is just an aside. If somebody, like, makes a prophecy and then that prophecy doesn't come true, if it were the Old Testament, we should all get big stones and hit them on the head, right? Because it's not the Old Testament and it's an age of grace, we won't kill them, okay? Okay? Just a little agreement between you and me. Let's not kill false prophets. But they should never be listened to again. Okay? Never again. Like, Grandma, turn off the TV. Don't ever listen to that guy again. He said Jesus was going to come back in 2012, and it didn't happen. He's a false prophet. Don't ever listen to him again. Fair? Fair. I think fair, right? Sorry, pet peeve. So, that's Jeremiah 28. Hananiah lies. Jeremiah 29, he sets it straight. Okay? Jeremiah 29, skipping the first few verses. Here's verse 3. It says, The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, here's what Jeremiah's letter said, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah says, no, 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 no. Don't listen to Hananiah. You're going into exile. I have sent you into exile. Okay? This isn't an accident. This isn't Babylon's God is bigger than me. Okay? This is, I have sent you into exile. When you're there, build a house. Plant a garden. Start a food co-op. Build a wedding business. Make it happen. Grow and pray. Pray for Babylon. Pray for Babylon and seek its peace. What? Do good in Babylon. Jeremiah says. Make Babylon a better place because you're there. (laughs) Grow there. Gain influence there. Seek the good of Babylon. You mean the place with false gods and false prophets and wicked kings? Yes, that place. Right? Endure, embrace, engage, dig in, and go for it. Right? It's a completely different promise than Hananiah said. Hananiah falsely promises you're going to be back in two years. Just treat it like nothing. Right? Jeremiah says, make yourself comfortable. Right? We did a whole series on this in 2017, um, loosely based on a book uh, called Thriving in Babylon by Larry Osborne. Highly encourage that uh, as a read. Looks at the, the, the book of Daniel, which is Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their existence in Babylon during exile and how they follow Jeremiah's advice. They read Jeremiah's letter and they're like, all right, cool. They change their names. They go to school, they go to college in Babylon. Okay, They become highly appointed officials in the court of Babylon. Crazy stuff, right? They dive in. It's amazing, the promises that God makes for them while in exile is, hey, this isn't an accident. You're sent. You're sent. I know Babylon's laws do not look like my laws, right? I know Babylon's temples do not reflect my temple. I know Babylon's sacrifices are vile. They're nothing like my holy sacrifices. But I have sent you there, and so endure, build houses, plant gardens, and so on and so forth. Pray for the peace of Babylon. Seek its peace and do good. Amen, this is the same message to us in our exile because once again, there has never again been a kingdom ruled by God, a kingdom that is set up according to the laws of God. Ever since that day, we haven't gone back. And so listen, every kingdom that has ever existed from that time forward has been a kingdom with mixed loyalties. This is important for us to understand when it comes to geopolitical things. There is no God's country Love you. There isn't one. There is no nation that has ever existed from that time when exile started that has been established 100% fully, firmly, and authoritatively on the laws of God according to Moses. It's never happened. Every kingdom that anyone has ever lived in since that day is a similar thing to Israel's experience in Babylon. That there are parts... Man, you just, ah, it's not right. It's not good. But we're sent here, right? We're sent here. Now, this isn't me muddying up America or something like that or any other place. This is just us declaring like Jeremiah, listen, this is our reality. And we're not supposed to just hold our breath for two years and hope we get an exit, right? We're supposed to build a house, We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to live for the benefit of this place. That's how beautiful the promises of exile for Israel are for us. It's not our home, and that's okay. There are some parts of this existence that we're going to have to push back against, and there are some parts of it that we're supposed to gung-ho run toward and be a part of, right? Now, that's a tough discernment to find. Again, Daniel helps us to understand that. Right? When the king of Babylon said, Bow down and worship me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, No, fiery furnace, please. Right? There was a, there was a line. And they didn't cross that line. Right? When the, the rulers plotted to kind of capture Daniel, and he was told he could never pray again. What did he do? He kept praying. He said, We're going to throw you in a den of lions. He's like, All right, I'll pray there. <laughs> right? Like, these were the moments where God intervened and he saved his children when the evil of the world that they were in was pressing in against them. Right? But make, mo- make no mistake, Daniel, Daniel was a, a highly respected advisor in the government of Babylon. Highly respected right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were, they were honored. They were given opportunities for leadership in Babylon, in Babylon, right? So they invested and they dug in because God had made a promise to the exiles that he was sending them there. And he encouraged them to dig in and to live and to build and to grow. So just a little bit after what I just read, Jeremiah continues and gives them a promise for their return from exile. This is where that really famous verse is. So Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10, this is continuing what we just read. He says this, for the, Thus says the Lord when, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Okay, so not two, but 70. Okay, so that 14-year-old that was looking forward to getting his Israeli driver's license, nope, Israeli Social Security, right? Old, 84, 84. That's how old that kid would have been, 70 years, Isaiah says. And here we go, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil and to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is a beautiful promise. Again, God reiterates, this is no accident, right? And just so you can hold on to something, in these seven decades, right? Just so you have something to hold on, I want you to know that this is all according to my plan. That I haven't done this to harm you, but rather to give you a greater hope than you've ever had and to create a new and different future for you. That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 is, okay? In the context of being exiled to Babylon, right? In the middle of the confusion of one guy promising two years, Daniel promising seven years, a lot of darkness and confusion, some shame that they totally blew it and lost God's presence. Amidst all of that stuff, God says, I know the plans I have for you, Israel, Right? And if you've ever seen the t-shirt or read the bumper sticker or, or seen the Instagram post, right, like, and this verse is ripped out of that context and you just read straight, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Often we can get confused because in light of the story of what's going on, it means it, the meaning just expands and grows so much more than just my little idea of my plan for my life that God's going to give me prosperity and give me health and give me a future and give me a hope, okay? Does God have a plan for you? Yes. Is Jeremiah 29, 11, God speaking right to you right now, saying, I've got a plan for you. I've got a plan to prosper you. It's God speaking to Israel, and through speaking to Israel, we get to observe God fulfilling his promises and understand that God did not leave them then, so there's no way he's leaving me now, right? Slightly changing the application. If you've read that, or if you've seen the bumper stickers, or all these different promises that have been made, and you've thought, well, that means that God has a great future for me in this life. That means there are bright days ahead for me, no more dark days, that means I'm never going to have any pain. That means I'm never going to have any poverty. That's, that's wrong, right? It's just plain and simply wrong. That's not the reading of this passage. We must take it into context. We must look at this fact that God spoke to Israel by the mouth of his prophets in the time of this exile that he might be made known to the nations, that his sovereignty might be seen, even in the midst of their messy, messy history, that they would understand that God is not abandoning them that God has not thrown them to the dogs, that God is not lost in the middle of these dark days, but it's actually all working according to his plan. So when it seemed like God had left them, they're given this promise so that they know that he didn't. When it seemed like all hope was lost, he gave them this promise so that they knew that it wasn't. When everything around looked like chaos and random madness, they were reminded by this promise that God was plotting for their good and for his glory. We can take that. We can apply that. Because sometimes it seems like random chaos, does it not? Sometimes it seems like the plan has been derailed. Right? Sometimes our questions, like Israel's questions, are, is there a bigger God somewhere else? Or is he just not even real? Or maybe he is and he just doesn't like me. And we get to gaze in on Israel's experience here and see that even when they had great fear about the future, they were still held right in the palm of his hand. And listen, some people heard this or read this letter from Jeremiah and they were already old. They saw the promise of a hope and a future, and it was given to Israel that they would return home, and they were buried in Babylon. That was some of their experience. They were buried in Babylon. Isaiah didn't make it to see the return from exile. Micah didn't make it to see the return from exile. Was God's plan lost? No. No. There was still a great plan and a great future. One of the other promises for exile is in Ezekiel 36... It's also in Jeremiah 33, and it's also in Isaiah, I think, 25, where God promises he's going to give Israel a new heart. Where God promises that he's going to bring about salvation through a servant who will suffer and die on their behalf. That because of his work, he is going to redeem Israel and make them a different people. It's this new covenant promise that God gives. He says in Ezekiel 36 verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God promises to rebellious Israel who has broken his commands He says, I'm going to give you a whole new heart that actually loves my commands and pursues after righteousness instead of hearts of stone that resist the call to repentance. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh that responds to the call to repentance and humbly bows the knee and confesses that I am weak and I am sinful, but you, O God, are great and glorious. I'm going to change the nature of Israel. And in that promise, the covenant also goes global. We see again and again these minor prophets, these exile prophets declare, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to give you new hearts and I'm going to expand my people beyond the borders of Israel so that many nations will come and see." so that many peoples from many tribes and many different languages will declare that I am the true God, that I alone rule and reign in heaven. That was part of the exile promise that after the spreading happened, he would bring them back together and then give them new hearts. And we know that the promise of new hearts comes true in Jesus. We know that the great promise that God makes is that he will be faithful to a rebellious people to the point that he sends his own son, Jesus, to actually be the obedience that Israel could not be. And he becomes the one who ultimately goes into exile for the judgment of their sin. Right? This is the great promise. We read it in Micah 7:18 through 20. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. The most striking promise out of all of the promises that are given to the people at exile is that He will, in the end, pass over their transgression. That He will forgive their iniquity. That He will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. That His compassion will not fail. That His steadfast love will not end. And this is the fulfilled promise that shakes us to the core. Because God would look on his rebellious children and say, I'm going to take your rebellion and put it onto my own son. I'm going to take your vileness off of you and put it onto my perfect child. I'm going to take that filth. I'm going to pull it off of you. I'm going to clothe my precious child Jesus in your filth and I'm going to take his perfect robes of righteousness and I'm going to wrap you up in them it's the greatest promise out of all of them right promises of peace promise of being returned home promise of having a land again promise of being back in Israel again promise of being reunited with the family promise of getting out of Babylon all those promises were good but they were nothing compared to the promise that God would remove utterly their sin from them, that he would totally, completely, and finally erase the penalty for sin. And that promise is your promise because of Jesus. And listen, sometimes we want to hold on to things like Jeremiah 29 and really believe, man, it means I'm going to have a good life. Okay? We want to do that. We're prone to do that. Often we're just so stinking American that we do that. We're so comfortable and so prosperous that that's what we think it means. Right? But we've got to remember that the persecuted church all throughout history in so many places has read Jeremiah 29 and has been completely delighted in the fact that God has given them salvation and have endured, they have endured the scorn of the earth, becoming the scum of the earth, being utterly rejected, not fed, kept in prisons, cut in half, being stolen from their families. All of these kind of things, and they've said, God is faithful to His promise. Right? So in our weaknesses, and in our sicknesses, And in our losses, and in our long, strung out, agonizing disappointments, the greatest possible promise has already been fulfilled. And that is, you will not be punished for your sins. You are welcome into the perfect presence of God. In fact, you're told to come boldly and approach his throne of grace to receive mercy when? At your time of need. From who? The one who suffered more than you. The perfect one who suffered more than you not just more than you, but for you. So that when you face these things that are your exile and you feel like you're down on your hands and feet, hands and knees in the dirt, you can just simply look a little bit over to the side and see that Jesus was brought that low too. That's why Paul said the fellowship of Jesus' suffering is enough for me that I, in my weakness, might find tremendous strength because He's right there. He's experienced it too. He faced the ultimate exile. Jesus was what led outside the city, away from the temple. carried up onto a barren hill, and exposed, embarrassed, ashamed, mocked. And in the end, he was abandoned by God. He cried out in anguish on the cross because he lost the presence of his Father. He lost it. Utter darkness fell on Jesus so that in your darkness you would know that he has not abandoned you. Exile, for some Israelites, was it. They lived in the kingdom, they died in Babylon. Exile, for others, was just partway through the journey. They lived in the kingdom, went to Babylon, and they returned home. Right? I don't know where your life is going to be. I don't know where my life is going to be. But I know because God said to Israel in this confusing time, this is my plan, this is my will, I am with you, that that's true for me too, that he has not left me, that he has not forsaken me, and that he has not abandoned me. The final promises that come to Israel in exile Our promises for the ultimate coming kingdom. I'm gonna read Isaiah 65, 17 to 25, and then we'll close. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever. In that which I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old. And a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall build and another and they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain Or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Even at Israel's exile, a new heaven and a new earth was promised to Israel. This is what we still wait for, right? A day when babies don't die. A day when 68 year old men don't die from cancer. A day when your work is not futile anymore. A day where you get to build a house and live in it forever, where no one's going to steal anything from you. A day even where lions are not even carnivores anymore. I mean, this is a crazy day that is coming. The promise to Israel for exile, that God would be with them in Babylon, came true. The promise that he would bring them back after 70 years, it came true. The promise that new hearts would come because of the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, it came true. The promises of new heaven and new earth are yet to come. And we have so much guarantee because of everything else that God has already fulfilled. Let us rejoice in the hope that is yet to come, that one day everything that has happened will be a glimmer, just a blink compared just to the utter glory that we'll behold for all eternity. Amen? We hold on dearly to that promise, knowing that God has fulfilled what he said, and he will fulfill what he has said. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you this day for your promises. Sometimes our hearts hear hear promises, and, and they're very heavy. Because we really, really, really want promises of earthly health or earthly prosperity or earthly glory. And in some ways, some of these dark things in our lives, they will change. They will be used to turn the chapter in our life or in the lives of others. In some ways, you will redeem the pains and the losses and the agonizing defeats of our life now. But one day, you will utterly redeem them. You will totally redeem them. And you will redeem every last one of them for your great glory, And we will see, just like the exiles did, that there was a plan, that there was a guide through it all, that there was a perfect presence. In the middle of the confusion, in the middle of what seemed like chaos, there was a great work being accomplished. God, please help us. Help us hold on to these dear and precious promises and to treasure most deeply the fulfilled promise of Christ who came and lived for us, who died for us, and who rose for us so that our sins could be trampled underfoot, so that your righteousness could be given to us, so that we could abide, even in our exile, that we could abide in your presence boldly Because of Jesus. So, God, I I pray for my own heart. In my own darkness, I'm prone to not pray and to not hope and to grow very cynical. God, if that's anyone else, Lord, would you help our hearts? Help us to hope in what is true. Help us to cling to you, to call to you, to cry out to you, to find some kind of peace knowing that our God knows us and loves us and is with us and to find deep, deep hope and the promises yet to, yet to be fulfilled. Would you give us faith? Would you give us faith? Because we know we can trust you. Help us, God, when we don't trust you. Help us when we have struggles with belief. Help us to believe.